three or four times a year for Thrive. Um, but this past, they just sent a little note telling appreciation. Um, this past food drive, we had it for a month, and we donated over 700 pounds of food. Uh, they estimate that that equals about 600 to 650 meals that uh, people in the community uh, were fed because of that. And they just wanted to tell us how appreciative they are. And uh, we still, you can still drop off food here for Thrive or take it to Thrive. And they're still doing their, uh, their shoe. If you have old shoes, I mean, it does their old shoes. If you have the pair, you put them together, drop them here, drop them at Thrive. They, uh, they sell them to a group that repurposes them and they get a portion. So it becomes a fundraiser for them. So we encourage you to do that. All right, we're going to be having communion today, so that um, I, we're we're going to talk about we're going to talk about that uh, this morning, and I I am hearing uh, grumblings concerning First John and the last part of First John that we have not finished yet. Um, I'm only about three weeks behind, but. Surprisingly, I've heard grumblings of a coup d'etat. I mean, people are talking about me being removed from the church. So let's just, let's just cut that out right now. I'm going to get to it, okay? I'm going to get to it. It might be August, but I'm going to get to it. We're going to finish up 1 John. So hang in there. And uh, for some of you, yeah, we need to talk. All right. We're going to look at the covenant, Genesis 15, 7 through 20, and I'm going to read that. You have it on your sheet right there in front of you. It says, and, and he said to him, God speaking to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dog, and a young pigeon. And when he had brought him all these, cut them in half and laid them half over against each other, he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. That will be the is when they're in, in, in Egypt. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, to your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Riphium, Rephium, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, the Jebusites, the Democratites, and the Republicanites. Just want to make sure we get everybody in this so we, have, we know it's, it's everyone, all right? So we're going to talk about communion. This is what we're going to talk about, but we're going to go back all the way to Genesis 15, to this passage, because this passage has a tremendous impact on what this means and what this signifies for us. This passage speaks directly to communion, and it's a powerful passage, and it's not always linked that way, but this is what is called the Abrahamic covenant. God makes a covenant with Abraham. God has this dream of his people in community, and it keeps getting ruined by them and us. 
And so he teaches about the nature of his sacrificial love. He chooses Abraham, makes a covenant with him. And this covenant is key to understanding God and understanding the cross and the need for the cross. A lot of people entered into covenants back in those days. What we're going to look at is not something that's terribly unusual. All kinds of people entered. It's not necessarily this is, this is a, a totally biblical thing. All kinds of kings and other people, they entered into covenants and they were structured very similar to this. Much in the same way. When kings would enter into a covenant back then, it was always to get something. All right? You entered in a covenant with another person to get something, whether it was a king, whether you were a local ruler, whether it was some sort of business thing, but it, it tended to be more important than that. It was to get water rights, or it was to get trade rights, or it was to get access to land, or something. And it always started with, always started with the identification of who goes first. That's always important. The greater person always goes first and who he is, and what has he done. This, isn't, this is very important. So, so that um, um, even there's still some covenants that have been found, like Nebuchadnezzar's made in different people, and basically it would go along this line. Nebuchadnezzar would say, I, Nebuchadnezzar, who has conquered this land, I promise you, and he's talking to the king of that particular land, I promise you protection and peace. I will protect you from outside threats, and I will bring peace to your realm. This is what I promise you, right? And then the lesser king would be a part of the covenant, and he would say, I promise you, O great Nebuchadnezzar, you know, 3,000 shekels of gold every year, 2,000 shekels of silver every year, this much grain, this much this. And so they entered in a covenant where they made this agreement. I give you this, you do this. That's how it works. And, and, and so this was something that Abraham would be familiar with. All right? And so if, if, you look, look at, if you look at verse 7, and he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. What is God saying? I did this. This is an identification of who I am. It would be like Nebuchadnezzar saying, I, the great Nebuchadnezzar, who have conquered this land. It establishes the position of the first party. Who is this first party? What's so important about them? And so what does God get out of this deal, this covenant with Abraham? I mean, you know, if you think about it, God knows the human race. He knows the heartache. He knows the ingratitude. So what does he get? He gets someone to bless. God loves us, and he wants to bless us. And so when you read about this covenant, that's what it keeps saying. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. God says, I will bless you. And, and then it won't be, everybody who blesses you, I will bless them. So he's establishing as the greater party his place and who he is. But think about that. God is serious about the sheer joy he gets out of a relationship with you. He's serious about it. The joy that he gets out of having a relationship with you. A person who, who gives their life to Jesus Christ, trusts him for salvation forgiveness of sins. God says, I'm incredibly serious about the sheer joy I get out of that. This, God's joy is important stuff. And the Old Testament writers are so overwhelmed by this that they refer to him as the God of the covenant 280 times. So covenants are serious business. 
And when they say they make a covenant, let's just look at verse 18. It says, on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. It really says cut a covenant. He cut a covenant with Abram. Because literally, they cut these animals in half and lay them on opposite sides. Look at, look at verse 9 and 10. He said to him, bring me a heifer, a female goat, a ram, a turtle dove, young pigeon. And he brought them all and cut them in half and laid them over against each other. So that it is basically this. They find a place where the land slopes. They cut in half. They lay them on both sides. The blood runs to the middle and then comes down. All right? And I know, you know, for us, we're like, oh. But God is saying, this is what is so serious about this. And for the greater the covenant, more, many of the covenants, you just used one. Like we, we, I know one, I was reading the other day, they were talking about it, and it was just one goat. It wasn't a huge thing that they were making a covenant over. So it was just one goat. But the, the bigger the, the, the agreement, the more. And this is the most they know, that have, that as far as they can tell, that have been used in a covenant. So this is huge. And so they would lay them like this, and then they would do what they called the covenant walk. That is, the first party would walk up the middle and get the blood of the animals on their feet, on the hem of their robe, as they walk through this blood up this little, up this little incline. And so they would, they would announce the statement and the conditions and then walk through. And so what does this mean? This is what the king, if it's Sennacherib, whoever it is, this is what it means. They announce the conditions of the covenant. They walk through. May you do to me what has been done to these animals if I break this covenant. May you can do to me what was done to these animals if I break this covenant. It's a blood covenant. They made this, they've made this covenant that, it, that, that puts a person's, that both people, their life on the line. In Jeremiah, uh, in Jeremiah 34, um, yeah, 34, um, the, in Jerusalem, and they're, they're under threat of war, and, and everyone's afraid, and the king uh, God has told him, you didn't obey me, you didn't obey me. So then the king basically is saying to the people, we need to obey God, we need to obey God. And, and part of it was God had this plan of, of, of the year of Jubilee when everyone was set free and no one kept slaves and, and all that. And they kept ignoring that year, they kept ignoring it. And so the king says, we're going to keep it. And so all the people agreed, we're going to set our, our slaves free today. And they cut a covenant. They made a covenant. We will set the slaves free today. So they told all the slaves they were free. And then very quickly they realized how difficult their life was now that they didn't have all their servants. So they started grabbing them and bringing them back and, and breaking the covenant. The men who have violated my covenant, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walked between its pieces. See, God is saying, this is, this is what this is about. When you walk through that, you're saying, you may do to me what we've done to these animals if I break this covenant. So you see how serious this is. People, when people make covenants, they understood the seriousness. Blood gets shed. You know, we say, oh, that's so barbaric. You know, we have reflections of that today. At least, I know when I was a little kid, and I was promising one of my friends something. 
I promise, cross my heart, hope to, remember that? To die. I promise, cross my heart, hope to die. Pretty serious, isn't it? As a little kid, I don't think I really thought that one through. And then remember the next, I don't know if everyone's, the next part we would say is stick, yeah, stick a needle in my eye, which, who came up with that one, right? How did that get into the vernacular? Stick a needle, I'm going to die. Then you can stick a needle. Who cares? You know, I think I was eight, didn't, yeah, didn't think it through. But I knew it was serious. Why? Because we're talking about how important things are when we, even little things like that. But think about this. On that day, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Now, this is an interesting thing. God basically put Abram to sleep. Why? Why? And now, this is pure conjecture, but I think this is probably, I, have a, I just, because it talks about the, how dreadful it is, why, why would this be dreadful? Abram's about to enter into a covenant with God. Who do you think is the person most likely to not keep the covenant? Abram. And you know Abram knows that, right? It, it, it just, he knows it. This is not a great idea for him. God says, Abram, we're going to cut a covenant. Abram's like, ha ha, no. Why? Why? Because I can't, I, God, you're God. You keep stuff. You do it. You're God. It's not even a fair. It's not even fair. I'm a human being. I'm going to fail. And I don't want to be at the top looking down and saying, you may do to me what we did to these animals if I break this covenant. And, and, and the other day, my little grandson, um, he got in trouble. And so he had to wait. And then, and then punishment was going to happen. And basically, he called out to his mother and said, why don't we just get it over with? Just come now. Let's just get it over with, okay? Which I thought, now that's, a, I, th I have hope for him. He's pretty smart. And I think Abram's looking at this going, you may do to me what we did to these animals if I break this covenant, and eh, why don't you just do it? <laughs> I'm going to do it probably in the next five minutes, God, so just do it. And so God puts him to sleep just to keep him from leaving. Verse 17, when the sun had gone down, behold, it was dark, and behold, a smoking pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Now, to me, this is where it gets exciting, okay, just to clue you in, this, is gonna get, this, this to me is exciting. There's two images of God here. Both images of God are very important. The first, it says, is a, uh, a smoking fire pot, and, and oftentimes it's translated a furnace, all right? So what is it talking about there? It's talking about a refiner's furnace. It's talking about how they refine gold or silver or other, me or other metals like that. And this is used for God a lot in Scripture. Second, uh, First Peter talks about it. Malachi talks about it. Psalm 66. There's plenty of places where it talks about God as a refining fire for his people. Refining his people. Not just fire as punishment, but fire as refinement. And what would happen, and we talked about this, so a lot of you know this, but they would get gold, like hunks of gold or whatever, and they put it in this pot and they would heat it till it melts. Well, gold is very, very heavy. So the gold would go to the bottom and all the impurities would come to the top. And then they would, they would skim the top part off, all the dross, they would call it, all the impurities would be skimmed off so that 
what your goal is. Your goal is that at some point you're looking at pure gold. And when pure gold is melted like that, or silver, it's like a mirror. It gives a, a perfect reflection. What is God doing when he says he's the refiner? He's refining us. Why? Because at some point in the future, when he looks at me, he wants to see Jesus. He's going to see himself in me. The image will be complete, but it takes time and it takes refinement, and that's a part of what we live in this day. But here, God is being referred to as this refiner who refines. And so it's an image of God. God, show, God is in the business of making his people more and more like himself, like Jesus. And refining can be difficult. I mean, let me just stop here for a second. Because we've been studying 1 John, and one of the things about 1 John is he says the sign of a person who knows Jesus Christ, the sign of a person who knows God intimately in relationship with him, is that over a long period of time, they become more and more like God, like Jesus. They change. So then the question is for me, Bob, in the last 10 years, have you changed? The I'm not going to take this question by myself. The question for you is, Bob, no, you. <laughs> yeah, has Bob changed? Can you tell? <laughs> so, uh, I have this knack for destroying illustrations. I don't know if you've noticed that before, but I can just mess them up. So have I changed? In the last 10 years, have I changed? Am I becoming more like Jesus? In, maybe in little ways, maybe in big, I don't know, but that's the key because God is a refiner and he is refining us to be more and more like pure gold, like pure silver. And so... And, and he, it mentions the, the flaming pot, the, 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 the refiner's fire, and then it mentions the flaming torch. Two things. Two, um, in a sense, images of God. Now, this is key for us, I think, because the first person walks through. You may do to me what we've done to these animals if I break this There has to be two walkthroughs. But what happens? The refiner's fire goes through. But now there's a flaming torch. And it's showing us, in, in essence, God is light. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness will see a great light. And those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or in John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. In 1 John, what does John say in 1 John? He says it so strongly, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And then he adds this exclamation, none. No darkness, pure light. God is light. He's not a light. He's not a bright light. He is light at the core of his being. He is light. In 1 John, two times he, he says he's light, and he says he's love at the core of his being. He is not a loving God. He is love. He is a loving God, but it's not just that he's a loving God. He is love. It's his core. It's his character. He couldn't help but be love or light. And so here he's giving us this, this light, but he seems to be saying there's two things that go through. One, and then the other, because two have to go through. And so, uh, let me see, go back, verse 17. 
So when the, light had gone, when the sun had gone down it was, and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. So two went through. You notice Abraham doesn't go through. This is what he was worried about. He didn't want to be on the other side with blood on his feet saying, do to me what we did to these animals. So God goes through, in a sense, twice. He goes through. I know I'm repeating myself, but this is important. He goes through. May you do to me what was done to these animals if I break this covenant. And he goes through. And he says, may you do to me what was done to these animals. You may do to me what was done to these animals if you break the covenant. Now, this is key. Because now, it's not on Abraham. God entered into a covenant and took both sides of it for Abraham, for us. In a covenant between kings, King Nebuchadnezzar and King whoever, Hapsep, whatever, they would pass through the pieces, each one saying, you can do to me what was done to done to these animals. But here, Abraham does not pass through the pieces. Because if he did, it would seal his death immediately. But God walks through twice. And so God says, you can do to me if I break it. You can do to me if you break it. That's key. If you break it, I pay. If the covenant between God and the human race gets gets broken, if it's not honored, there's a price that will have to be paid. Who will pay it? There's blood that has to be shared. Who will shed? Somebody is going to be broken. Who will be broken? In a sense, the fate of Jesus was sealed at that moment because the human race breaks the covenant, was going to break the covenant, is breaking the covenant, will always break the covenant. Now, this great and dreadful darkness was upon Abram as he pondered, thinking of, what does this mean? And now suddenly, it, it breaks. You can imagine the joy and the relief on Abram right then. I have a covenant guaranteed by God himself, and he'll pay the price if I screw it up. When we take communion, we are remembering, we are in essence celebrating this horrific death that brought this incredible joy. And what do we do when we do this? Because you have the same covenant relationship with God if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. He has taken. It's just that it's in the, in the, in the after effects of Jesus' death. He has taken your sins. He has died for them. They have been paid for. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Maybe you're in a really difficult time right now. God is telling you, I will redeem this. I will bring good out of this. I will walk with you in this. He's telling you, I know how it feels. Based on Jesus, I know how it feels. The physical pain that you might be in right now, he knows how it feels. The emotional pain, the deep sadness, the tragedy, the, all of this that, that is a part and parcel of being human beings on this earth that we experience to different degrees at different times. He says, I know how that feels. I'm with you in this. The spiritual pain, the struggle spiritually at times in your life, 
He says, I know how that feels. Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows that feeling. But maybe things right now are good for you. And God is saying, this is a blessing. Remember me in these times because they don't always last. He says, trust me. Trust me in these things because your faithfulness will yield great things, just as it did with Abraham. He says, I want to work with you, just like that. I want to use you, just like that. And so today we're celebrating this communion. We're recognizing the price Jesus paid to honor this covenant. This is what ties it in. Jesus Christ paid this incredible price to honor this covenant that God made with Abraham. Because the second part, may you do to me what we did to these animals. If you break the covenant, it had to be done. It had to be done. And so we live under this grace. Because because the thing I think about is, Scripture tells us as we, I'm going to read it in just a minute, but one of the things as we come to communion, he says, examine yourself. Is there unconfessed sin? Is there something that needs to be changed? Then, then confess it. Get it right with God before you come to the table. But here's, the, and that can be for a lot of people, a very guilt-inducing uh, feeling. It can, be, it can be a time where you just feel terrible about yourself. If you start to think about your failures or start to think about how you sinned in, in the recent past or the distant past, and it can be, it can be this is an incredible burden. But God says, no, examine yourself. Why? For the purpose of understanding that now you're free of that. There's freedom. He died for your guilt and shame. I don't know about you, but I I struggle with this sometimes. Um, I remember things I've done in the past where I was particularly, whatever, bad. I don't know. Bad doesn't seem like a good word to describe it. Things that I regret deeply. Things that when I think about them, they make me cringe. You know, I, I, I do that. I, sometimes, sometimes it pops in my head and I will audibly gasp. I, I remember a while back I was driving with one of my kids and I just remembered something that I had done years ago and it was just a terrible thing. And, and I was just like, oh, man. And they were like, what? Oh, crap, nothing. <laughs> oh, nothing, Dad's just remembering his horrific past. You know, it, it, just, it, just, it, it just, those things, they come, and, and, I, and I have to remind myself. I don't have to be ashamed of that. I've confessed it. I've tried to move past it, and now that shame, I don't need to experience that. I don't need that shame anymore. God has taken care of it. He died for that. He died for that sin. He died for that shame. This is what we're remembering here. We're going to uh, have communion and, uh, and uh, so right now, let's just pray together. Father, we thank you for this time. God, we, uh, we praise you for what you've done. We thank you for how you've worked in our lives. Help us to remember. Lord, you know every heart in this room. You know where we stand before you. And uh, so we pray that your spirit would be alive and working even now, encouraging, convicting, working in our hearts to help us to see our need for you and how important you are in our lives. And Lord, we trust you to do that because you have promised to. So for each one of us, Lord, now we come to you and we, we, we bow and we honor you. Lord, use this time for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take our offering right now and as they come come to take it, I just want to say, 
If you're a guest here, we're not asking you to give. Please don't feel pressured or obligated to give in any way. Uh, this is what our regular attenders and our members do as a part of their worship. 